Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. Welcome once again, dear listeners, to another excellent episode of Question and Answer with Bishop Julian Porteous. And once again, we have Jovina Graham and myself, Jeremy Ambrose. And this is a very fascinating topic we have for you today because we're going to be talking about Catholics and the media. Bishop Julian, I mean, a lot of Catholics are very upset reading the newspaper or listening to the news because there seems to be a certain story, a certain narrative that comes through all the time, that paints the church and the church's teachings in a particular color and doesn't leave any scope for anything out of that. So you get stories which are truncated or which will present a certain image only and not the full picture. I mean, of course, you don't find things like that on radio, but this is, you know, (laughs) out in the world, the the way the media present this narrative. So, Bishop, I mean, is, is this true? Do you agree with this? And can you perhaps shed some light on on some of the features of this narrative that we seem to be hearing about all the time. I think this has become more and more evident in recent years that there is a certain narrative being presented uh, in the media which describes the church in a particular way and we as as Catholics listen to it and, and feel this is not the church that we know and we love. It's, it's, it presents a particular way of seeing the church, which is quite often quite foreign to the way we see it. And we get disturbed by the fact that we don't seem to be able to present an alternative view. And, and it just seems it's just one continual narrative being put out. For instance, one of the very obvious things that, that is often said, the church is conservative, you know, and... and it, but conservative is presented in a very negative light. It's seen as anti-progressive. Um, often the church is, is viewed as somehow opposed to the developments in, in modern liberalis, uh, liberalism in, in, in advancing uh, society in certain directions. And the church is seen as an obstacle, as a blockage, as, as a throwback to the past. And people just... Uh, the, the narrative just sort of assumes that or presents in a way that... Um, we we feel often it's very difficult to, to to counteract that. Of course, the other issue at the present moment that is um, that is very distressing and will continue for some time is is every interview, certainly every interview that I have done in recent times, the issue comes up: what's the church doing about sexual abuse? Uh, as though sexual abuse is somehow endemic in the church, as though it's it's something that is completely corrupt of the church. Look, sexual abuse has has occurred. It's a terrible thing. It is just a very small percentage. It's good to realise there are 400,000 priests in the church today. Every case, of course, is terrible, but it's such a small minority of of priests. And then, of course, they're, they're always saying that the church is covered up. The church is covered up. There have been failures in the past, certainly, but the present moment, certainly in the last 20 years or so, the church has very seriously now faced it and dealt with it, and has very strong protocols in place. But the church, keep, but the media keeps saying that the church, you know, what are you doing about sexual abuse? We've been doing stuff for 20 years about sexual abuse. You know, what about cover-ups? 
cover-ups have, have been eliminated from the church. But we keep hearing it again and again coming out. These things, um, I'm sure for many Catholics, are very distressing. But they also reflect a certain focus, a certain narrative that, that comes out. We see other things. There are typical things. The curia is always painted as somehow controlling and perhaps a compromised organisation, stopping the freedom of uh, people in the church and so on. We also hear the other, the other great um, narrative is about the priesthood. There is this constant pressure to say, why does the church not allow women priests? Why does the church not allow married priests? This is a continual narrative that just keeps coming out. It won't go away, even though the church has made very clear and quite definitive statements on both of these issues. They're not going to change, but, but the media keeps pressing that there should be a change. And, of course, on, 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 on some of our key moral positions with regard to um, abortion, the use of condoms, homosexuality and so on, all these sorts of issues are always seen by the media in a very negative light. And, and often when we make any statement about it, immediately, immediately comes in to be critical of this position. Um, so there is a media, yeah, there is, there is a media narrative, yes, and it is something that... Uh, uh, is is distressing, I think, because we, we feel that our own side of the story is never really able to be presented. Um, and often it's the case that the media will only use those commentators or those people who want to agree with their narrative uh -huh. and not allow a contrary position to be presented. Mm. So in the face of all the... It seems quite overwhelming the way you've just described all, all the points that seem to get raised all the time. What... In the face of this, what can we do, Bishop Julian, to, to help the church um, in the world that we live in? It is very difficult. Um, I, I think, um, to a large extent, we have to face the fact that there is, a, there is a particular narrative out there that we're not really going to be able to effectively change. Um, however, um, I, I think we do need to, to look at ways that we can be more proactive, if you like, in the media, I think one of the difficulties we face is we're always seemingly on the back foot. We're always seemingly under criticism, under challenge, um, and often it's presented that the public opinion has this view. Why does the church hold that view, and, and so on? So we're always seemingly in a position of, um, with our backs against the wall, having to defend ourselves. And often our defence is not terribly effective because. Uh, because we, we're just answering questions on the terms of the narrative. And, and so, our, if you like, our own narrative, our own story, isn't able to be effectively presented. This, I think, will, will continue to be a major challenge and difficulty for us. However, there have been some initiatives. Uh, one initiative that was very successful, and I think it's something that can give us a, a way of, of approaching things for the future, is that as um, Pope... Uh, Benedict was about to visit England in 2010, uh, there was very heavy negative media coverage about the impending visit. And um, a group of, uh, of lay people in the United Kingdom decided that they would try to um, develop a media presence which would be more positive. And so what they did was they, they got together a number of people who, um, particularly younger people, uh, lay people, who um, received a bit of background training in media and also were able to receive some formation on some of the 
key issues the media always raises. And then as the, um, the uh, Pope came to, uh, to visit the United Kingdom, when the various uh, news agencies were looking for commentary from um, members of the church, these people were able to put their hands up, if you like, say, oh, we're available to make comment. And they, they actually had a, quite a significant contribution. They really helped change public opinion because people then just didn't hear from bishops, if you like, being defensive. They actually heard from lay people giving expression to their faith and to their confidence in the church, their, their understanding of, of what the church was actually on about in various issues. And it did actually soften that hard edge of criticism and negativity towards the church. In fact, it's, it's probably true to say that Pope Benedict's visit to England was extraordinarily successful and actually had more impact than anybody would have, would have imagined. And I think not in a small way, that more proactive approach to, uh, to engaging with media was uh, was a very fruitful way of um, helping support the work of the Pope as he came to England. So it's not impossible. I think there are things we can do. We, we can, um, but we do need to be proactive. We do need to have people who have some background and training and preparation, but we can go on into the media and speak forth, not in a defensive way. One of the things that we have to do is is, if you like, change the narrative from just defending our position to actually positively presenting our position. Right. This is the key change. The way that this is done is actually we have to reframe the questions. You see, when a person asks a question, they speak from a particular narrative. They have a particular mindset, they have a particular impression, understanding of the nature of the church, understanding of a particular teaching of the church. Just to defend it often is, is very difficult because you're, in one sense, constricted by their own way of seeing things. We actually have to reframe the questions and be able to talk about the particular issues from a perspective of faith, but in a way that's actually able to positively present what we believe. So this is a challenge to be involved with the media. It's not just to, if you like, be dictated to by the terms of the narrative of the media itself, but actually develop a, an approach which, where we, we reframe the questions, the issues, and are able to present in a positive way what the church actually believes and teaches. So reframing these questions, I mean, you gave us the example of what happened in England, but... Um... Is there a need for a, I guess, a more formalised um, structure in the media, like a, a stronger media presence, supported by, you know, by the Catholic Church, by having different things or initiatives out there? Is that possible or probable or, or what? I, I certainly think we have to look seriously at the fact, that, say, in Australia, that there is little or no Catholic presence in the media as, as media organisations or operations. Um, this, this is a, a, something I think we need to, to take very seriously because um, to a large extent we could say all the major media outlets today have a, basically a, a, an agenda which is not favourable at all to, to Christianity, to the church, to, to, um, to our beliefs and, and practices 
they will always tend to to adopt positions that uh, are, are negative towards the church. And we have very little uh, ourselves. I, I think one of the things we, we need to look at very seriously as, as a church is to find ways that we can actually develop media outlets, if you like. You know, we have, we have magazines, we have newspapers, but we have little or no presence in radio or, or television. We need to change this. So Cradio, for instance, is one illustration of what is possible. You can develop a Catholic uh, radio service, a podcasting service, make it available through the internet, make it very accessible to people. We need to be doing more and more of this um, to find the ways that we can actually be out there in the, 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 the world of media, presenting uh, our, our Catholic faith, our Catholic view of life, helping people to, to realise the truth, the beauty, the goodness that is actually found within the church. Well, there's a challenge out there. There is indeed. Can I ask one final question of you, Bishop Julian? I know that having watched a lot of media over the past couple of weeks with all the papal conclave and everything, there do seem to be some prominent Catholics who do get a look in in the secular media, but who probably don't reflect what a lot of the a lot of practising Catholics actually want and desire for the church. And I was just wondering how should we respond to these um, prominent Catholic media commentators who perhaps don't really share our, our vision for the church? Yes, there are, there are um, some notable examples of this. <clears throat> I think one of the, the, the things is that the media will tend to look for a commentator, a, a Catholic commentator, who somehow how subscribes or, or is more in tune with their own worldview yeah. than uh, somebody who may present something quite differently. So that's always a difficulty, and we, we sometimes find that uh, that media commentators who would present the church, if you like, you know, in a better light or more faithful to what the church really is about, um, aren't invited by the secular media to uh, to contribute. So we always work under that uh, that difficulty. And it is a problem that sometimes even people who, who designate themselves as Catholics and are present in the media are people who who, who are more moving uh, with the, the tide of society than with the, the tide of the church, if you like. Yes. And that creates a further problem. So sometimes uh, the people who who are up there as Catholics in the media, are not really representing uh, what the church is about and tend to be somehow going with the, with the media narrative that's around. Um, it is a great challenge for us today, to, to and, but it's something we need to address. We need to, in a very positive way, find means by which we can get our voice heard in the marketplace of, of media today. Wonderful. Well, there is a challenge for us. There is. So if, if anyone's out there who you know, is thinking of starting up something on television, then I'm sure this show with the three of us quite good-looking people you know, <laughs> would be very appealing for the world and helping to reframe this narrative. So thank you, Bishop Julian. Thank, thank you, Javina. Thank you very much, Thank Jerry. you, Jeremy. Javina, just uh, as a little... Um, point of interest today, I'd, I'd like to return to look at some of the prayers that we know and that we say and that we love uh, and talk about their origin. Um, one prayer I'm sure you are very familiar with is the Hail Holy Queen. Indeed I am. And, is, that, uh, is that the end of the question? I know it. 
Yeah. <laughs> you know it. You know its origin. Oh, that's a bit harder. No, I don't. No, it's it's. Um, we know, of course, in the, at the Hail Holy Queen in uh, in English. Um, it, it's the prayer we say at the very end of the Rosary, for instance. I'm sure it's also a, a prayer that many of us have prayed many times. It's a very beautiful prayer. Um, it, of course, its origins originally were in Latin, and it's called in Latin the Salve Regina. And that, again, is a, a prayer that is uh, very um, popularly known and loved. Uh, priests, for instance, uh, love to to prayed it's something we we sing as a um as as a coffin of a, a priest is taken to the hearse all the, the priests gather around and we sing the salve regina it's a it's a prayer that uh, uh and, and a hymn that has um a very special place in the life of uh, of the church so we know it at a popular level through the hail holy queen but we also know it and it's been used i think more and more sung the salve regina sung it's a lovely hymn for instance to sing at the end of the day, before uh, before a statue or an image of the Blessed Virgin Mary, and it's often sung um, at the end of the Divine Office, the, the Compline. It's one of the, the hymns that can be sung. So it's become a hymn that is um, and, a, and a prayer that is very deeply embedded itself in our Catholic culture. Uh, the origins of it um, go back to the Middle Ages, and of course it reflects the the, the medieval um, love of the Blessed Virgin Mary and turning to her uh, as as a queen as a mother, as one who we, we seek uh, for, for, for maternal care and, and for her intercession. They, it's possibly um, the work of a German monk. We're not 100% sure, but uh, it, first, it first appeared, as I said, in, in Latin. So it goes back to the Middle Ages to a German monk. Um, it's been slightly adapted over time, but now it has come through to, to be a prayer that... Uh, is very much um, built into our, our, our Catholic spirit. So when you next say the Hail Holy Queen, you might uh, just be aware that it's drawing out of the, the faith of the medieval church and is a particularly beautiful prayer of honouring uh, the Blessed Virgin Mary and realise that it is something that is now part of the fabric, if you like, of, uh, of our Catholic life and devotion. Wonderful. Thank you very much, Bishop. And that's it for this episode of Question and Answer with Bishop Julian Porteous. See you next time. You've been listening to Q&A with Bishop Julian Porteous. For more episodes, visit radio.org.au.